Good evening. Welcome to Element City Church. We are so glad to have you here. So glad to have you tuning in online if that's where you are tonight. Y'all doing well? Good, 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 good. Um, hey, just a few things. Wanted to say thanks to all of you who donated candy over the last few weeks. We did not run out. We had plenty. We had about 400 uh, people out Friday night here for the trunk or treats. And so just, yeah, you can clap for that. It was a big hand. We had a lot of people here. And we're praying for maybe a few of those that might want to check out either Emmanuel or, or Elements here Sunday nights. And so thank you to all of you who donated for that and all of you who are here. Where's uh, Chris and Lena? You guys made like 400 balloon animals or balloon hats. Like they were massive hats. So thank you. I hope your fingers are not like, can you get balloon cuts? I don't know if you can, but I feel like you would have after 400 or so. I've, I cannot do any of those, and you guys did a ton of them. So thank you for all the work in that. Uh, and again, thanks to all who donated uh, candy and helped us pull that off or part of the, the trunk or treats. Uh, I was the guy, Mr. Fredrickson from Up. So if you weren't here, now you just have to picture what it looked like. Okay, so, um, but hey, we are glad to have you here tonight. We're going to continue on our series, Lyle's Preaching Tonight. We're going to worship a little bit, uh, and then we'll end with some worship. So if you're new, uh, welcome. We know it takes courage coming to a new place, and so glad that you're here. We do a 10-minute party in the back at the end of the service, so you happen to be new. Uh, we'd love to meet you back there uh, just for 10 minutes or less and kind of hear your story a little bit, uh, maybe help you find a connection around here. And... We've got the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon. See, everybody knows it. I'm just saying. So, like, if you're new, uh, you get some of that, and we're glad to have you here tonight. So just, I love the fact that, uh, like, we're doing dinner together every Sunday night. We go out for dinner. You'll hear about that at the end. Uh, but tonight, um, if you are new, you can fill out the connection card on our app, or you can text the word hello to our text number, 520-340-6868. Just text the word hello. Be a couple other simple texts, and then we'll be able to walk with you, help you get connected around here. Here. So, uh, the Church of the Week, um, I did not get an email this week. So, I'm ad-libbing the Church of the Week, uh, which we're going to pray for our, our, our sister church, our partner church here, Emmanuel Baptist. Uh, and so, we're going to pray for them uh, as they continue, and just we're grateful for the partnership we have with them. And so, we're going to pray a blessing over Michael Goodwin, his team, and all those here at Emmanuel. So, if you're here in the room, I'm going to ask that you stand up. We're going to worship after this. If you're online, you can stand up if you want, but I can't see you. So, um, but let's pray. Let's pray for our night tonight together. We'll worship some, uh, we'll, and uh, you're going to hear a great message from Lyle, and we'll have a great time tonight. So let's go to God in prayer. So, Father, we uh, pause right now and, and just want to ask that your spirit would be present. Father, we all have a host of things that has our attention and the swirl of life that is that we try to chase after. But we're hitting pause deliberately right now. We're asking that we could tune into your voice, your activity, that your uh, spirit would refresh our hearts tonight. Whether we've been walking with you uh, or we're just investigating you, or whether we've been walking with you for a long time. So as we worship you, would you meet us uh, as we put our attention in your direction? God, we pray your blessing over Emmanuel Baptist Church and over Pastor Michael and the team that's here. We pray uh, your blessing over them, provision for them. Continue to give them an opportunity to reach people in this neighborhood as, uh, as we do too. We know there's a million plus people in southern Arizona that aren't connected into any faith community. And God, so the harvest is plentiful. 
Hey, would you help us to receive folks, maybe from uh, the Trunk or Treat the other night, receive people that are just friends of ours, from uh, friends at the office to the neighbors as we invite. Father, we continue to lean into 1 Thessalonians tonight, ask that the truth that was whispered back then would whisper into our hearts for our here and now, we pray. Father, would you receive our praise, and may we leave here because we've uh, better because we've met with you, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry a kite of weight It was my tune Till I made you I was breathing the night Alive, all my failures I try to hide. It was my turn till I nailed. Amen. See it out, church. You called my name in See those hands, come on. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old made new. Jesus, when I made
that is and yet how often I feel like I walk like someone who's not victorious but Lord you provided a way for us Father on that cross that each and every day when I wake up that when each of us wakes up there's resurrection power you've opened the door for each and every one of us to take part of. That by your blood, we have hope. We have purpose. We have mission. We are given grace. And Father, I pray for this church that we would live as those who are victorious. That for the victories that have been, there are victories to come. And you are God of each and every single one of them. And man, we look forward to those. No matter which ones we've experienced, the hardships that we've gone through, Lord, there is victory in your name in the days to come. And God, I pray for each and every person in this room that they would experience that. That you would move in a great way here this evening, Father. We just want to look more like Jesus. We want to look more like your son. We want to be your church, not some facade. But man, people that are just looking to become who you want us to be, it's real simple. But Father, tonight I pray that you would remind us of the power that lives within us, your Holy Spirit and the victories yet to come. We're so excited uh, to be able to, man, just be given this responsibility to bear. We pray we would do it well. I pray that you would be with Lyle tonight. That your words would flow through him. That we would be encouraged. That our hearts would be pressed on just a little bit. And that your spirit already within us would move 
It would poke, it would prod. It would give us the questions that you want us to ask of ourselves. Because again, we just wanna follow you. So thankful for this church. We're so thankful for, for these people and who you've brought here tonight. We know you're moving, we know you're here. We sure do love you. So be with us, move in us, make us more like your son. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Amen. Amen. Well, can we thank our worship team? blessing to uh, get to take weeks off and just know that we've got uh, great people lined up to cover that. And I say take a week off and here I am preaching. But uh, tomorrow's a big day, folks. Uh, this is my best friend, Dan, by the way. Tomorrow, tomorrow's a, a big day. Dan's birthday is tomorrow. I know you're all excited. I was going to talk about Halloween, but no, it's Dan's birthday. There we go. That's right. Barbie as well. She needs some attention, guys. Make sure you give it to her too. No, I'm just kidding. Love you, Barbie. But yes, Halloween is tomorrow, and you know what that means. You know what this means. It means that once the Halloween decorations go down, Christmas decorations go up inside of the department stores and your local Target and Walmart, all the places. How many of you are ready to see Christmas decorations? Anybody? There, some of you are, right? Like, you, are, you know there's only 56 days left for you to get your shopping done for Christmas, and you are locked and loaded and ready to go. Uh, that's right. But uh, what I love about uh, Christmas is just the debate of what's the best Christmas movie? It's a great question. What is the best Christmas movie? Of course, there's the people like, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. We get it. It is, okay? Like, it happens during Christmas time. So take a moment. Just uh, turn to your neighbor. What, tell them, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Ten seconds. Go for it. All right, I didn't say have a discussion about it. I just said to tell what's your favorite. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. How many of you said that your favorite Christmas movie is Elf? Do you have anybody who's Elf out in the house? Anybody, Christmas Story, classic, an older one, there's some woots. How, about, how many people said Home Alone? That's probably my favorite one right now, Home Alone. Uh, and I just, it's, you, most of you probably know the story. It's been out for 30 years. So if, you, if this is a spoiler, it's your own fault at this point. Uh, but you know the story, Kevin McAllister, he's a little brat. He's a part of a dysfunctional family. Clearly, the extended family is together having one of their super dysfunctional moments. Uh, and so all chaos ensues. The night before this huge trip to Paris, he gets sent to the attic. And what happens? He gets left behind. He gets left home alone, hence the title. Look at that. It's pretty clever, isn't it? Uh, but that's not just the full story. The, the real story is that the wet bandits are in town. You've got Harry and Marv, and they've been casing the joint, and they want to uh, steal from the McAllister household. And Kevin, just through his own kind of quick wits, uh, he gets caught unawares, has no idea that they're coming, uh, but he's able to kind of play something to distract. Uh, and so when Harry and Marv go back, he gets to overhear their plan, and when he overhears the plan, he knows that he has to protect his household, right? So great movie, uh, but there's a principle that we see uh, in that movie take place. And what we see is because Kevin knows what's going to happen, he's able to be prepared uh, for the moment when the moment arrives. And so the principle at play here is what you believe will happen tomorrow determines how you live today. 
So uh, in Kevin's case, he needed some tools that would help him defeat the wet bandits. And so he's got a paint can. He even uses a tarantula. There's the nail in the tar, which is like one of the most painful scenes, right? In just any movie. Uh, the icy stairs, crowbar. There's just so many things that, that take place. And so what we're going to see in our passage tonight as we look at this principle that what you believe will happen tomorrow determines how you live today. I believe that God has given us some tools. I believe he's given us the paint can of faith, the crowbar of hope. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to link it to those things. That would be ridiculous, right? There's no time. All right, I'm, I'm d- d- getting distracted. But uh, God has given us some tools ourselves so that we can be ready for the day of the Lord's appearance. That's what we've been talking about as we've been going through First Thessalonians. We've been calling this sermon series Living Hope because we are people who live with a hope For the future, we know the ending. Jesus has told us the ending. And we're going to see Paul really uh, pushing this principle that what you believe will happen tomorrow determines how you live today. So we're going to start out just to kind of catch up on the context of 1 Thessalonians and where we're at. Uh, We're going to do our five-minute nerd out right at the beginning. So some of you might be new and you're like, did he just call this thing a five-minute nerd out? It's on the screen. I sure did. Uh, And if you need the context for the context, uh, I used to work at Apple. I was a a genius at the Genius Bar. I worked there for like nine and a half years. Uh, And there just comes points where you have to take uh, some complex things and you have to explain it to people who aren't used to dealing with complex systems. And so uh, I would always tell folks, all right, let's get our nerd hats on. We're going to nerd out for a little bit here just so you kind of know what's going on, how we can prevent this from happening in the future. And so, uh, listen, I I just owned it. I take it with me into preaching now that we have the five-minute nerd out. That's why we have it. There you go. And so tonight's five-minute nerd out, I want to look at what do we know about the return of Christ? We talked about it a little bit last week. Jack spent some time of what happens next. And he, he really established the point that when the time comes, you want to be riding with Jesus. That's where we want to be. We want to be riding with Jesus. Uh, but the context of 1 Thessalonians really matters here. Uh, because, again, you have a people who are suffering terribly at the hands of their fellow citizens. That Paul came with Silas and Timothy. They established the church in Thessalonica. And the locals didn't like it at all because it, it was a threat uh, to their tax-exempt status in particular. And so there is a, an intense persecution that was taking place for the Thessalonian Christians. Uh, But keep in mind that the early church believed, as every generation since then has also believed, that Christ would be soon returning for them. And as a result of this belief that Jesus was coming back, many of the workers, many of the people who were going to church in uh, Thessalonica just kind of gave up. They stopped working. They just got lazy. And so after Paul gets run out of town and Timothy goes in, he comes back and he gives Paul word, like, hey, they're kind of getting lazy. They're not doing the things that they would normally do. And so Paul's encouraging them, hey, if you don't work, you don't get to eat. You guys, you got to keep going to work. you got to keep doing these things. Uh, but also keep in mind, because of this intense persecution, there's probably uh, some people who are losing some loved ones. And so last week when we were in 1 Thessalonians 4, there was this passage where Paul says, don't grieve as those who don't have hope. Don't grieve like the Gentiles do, like the unbelievers. You know that there's something better that comes after this. And so Paul wants to set the record straight that they don't have to mourn the way that other people mourn when someone goes to be with the Lord. They have a hope that they get to hold on to uh, in the midst of all of that. And so uh, in the midst of, of all of this, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, encouraging them how they should live until Jesus comes back for the church. And now the, the phrase that gets used there in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, the, the Greek word, uh, you see it several times throughout the different books uh, of First and Thessalonians. It's the Greek word parousia. And so that's up on the screen here, the parousia. 
And so this was a, a Greek term that actually we see used not just in Scripture. It was used outside the Bible as well. Uh, and so uh, this word often is translated as coming. So Jesus would be coming for the church, the parousia. Uh, but what's really important to remember, too, is this word can also mean presence. And so parousia can mean not just that someone has the intention to come, but that someone's presence is already there. And so this reminder to the church that Christ would come again, it's the hope that the presence of Jesus will never leave us once again. And we who are Christians, we know we through the power of the Holy Spirit, we always have that now. But for now we see, uh, as the word says, we kind of see in veiled face, but one day that we're going to see it in full glory. And it's going to be beautiful. Well, uh, N.T. Wright, uh, also is known as Tom Wright, uh, he is a, a, just a brilliant theologian. He's a, a senior research fellow at the University of Oxford. He's written some ridiculous books, um, just brilliant minds. And so this is what he says about the parousia. Uh, he says, when Paul talks of Christians being snatched up among the clouds, he's not thinking of a literal vertical ascent. The language here is taken from Daniel chapter 7, where one, like a son of man, goes up on the clouds as he is vindicated by God after his suffering. A wonderful image, not least for people like the Thessalonians who were suffering persecution and awaiting God's vindication. And their meeting with the Lord doesn't mean that they'll be then staying midair with him. They're like Roman citizens in a colony going out to meet the emperor when he pays them a state visit and then accompanying him back to the city itself. As I said, the word parousia has some historical context, and that's typically how it was used outside of Scripture. So in any extra-biblical sources, any talk of a parousia, what would happen is there would be a foreign dignitary or somebody who was an honored uh, uh, person that was coming to your town. And so let's say someone was coming to Element City Church, and we were all excited. What would we do? If we wanted to honor that guest, uh, we would send a delegation, and they would go to the airport. They would greet the person at the airport, and we'd have signs and the whole thing, right? And then we would bring them into Tucson, and we would show them the way around town, and we would uh, take them to places. That's, in essence, what the Perusi would be. You would have this leader or this, this uh, state leader, someone coming to town, and so the people of the village would go outside to meet the, the honored guest. They would celebrate the person's arrival, and then they would create this triumphant procession back into their own city where they would welcome this person. That's the picture of what's going to happen when we get to be with Jesus. Now, uh, in American culture, these days we talk about the rapture and the whole Left Behind series, right? I just want you to know, spoiler alert, there is no basis for any of that in historical Christianity up until the 1800s, okay? So that's, it is what it is, okay? Like, it just... It came about in the 1800s because a guy named John Nelson Darby, and we're almost to the end of the five minutes, five-ish minute nerd out tonight. But John Nelson Darby, uh, he had these revelations from God, and uh, so he was looking at the book of Daniel, and he was trying to figure out things about the end times. Uh, and then there's this other woman uh, who somewhere else in the U.S. had this revelation, and so they got together, and they tried to like put this all together. And so we have this image of uh, when Christ comes back that we're going to be whoop, taken out of the world and we never come back. But what about the new heavens and the new earth? Right, like that, that doesn't make sense. When God flooded the earth, he did it to rid the world of those who were sinners and he wanted to establish something new with the pure. That's why he kept Noah in the ark, right? So that's the precedent, that God wants to create new heavens and new earth for us, those who are in Christ, to come back to partake in. So Tom Wright goes on to say this. He says, we may find it more intelligible to speak of Christ's appearing as opposed to um, his downward descent. But his point is this, and this is what's important, folks. It's that we can be confident in God's future purposes for those Christians who have died. 
There will be grief, of course, but there's also hope. There will come a day when God will put all wrongs to rights, when all grief will turn to joy. Jesus will be central to that day, which will end with the unveiling of God's new world. There, those who've already died and those who are still alive will both alike be given renewed bodies to serve God joyfully in his new creation. And so that's what leads us into our passage tonight in 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Uh, If you want to turn there, if you've got the Bible app, uh, we use the Bible app to put all of our sermon notes there. There's actually some extra things that I put in there uh, that would just take a lot of time to type up on the screen. So uh, if there's things that you like, some quotes or whatever, uh, always check there because it might have more. Uh, But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that's where we are tonight. Paul was setting up all of that to get to this point. And so uh, tonight, really, I've leaned on the shoulders of two giants. I've leaned on the shoulders of N.T. Wright and then G.K. Beale, and their commentaries on Thessalonians are fantastic. Uh, And so G.K. Beale, in his commentary, there's kind of three main sections that we need to be aware of that we're going to be covering tonight. Uh, So we're going to be seeing Christ's return will be unexpected for unbelievers. We're going to see that we can be ready for Christ's return by being ready to live out God's will for us. And we're going to see that The greatest encouragement to true Christians is this. It's godly living, and it's the assurance of our salvation through Jesus. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. And it says this. It says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. And so right off the bat, Paul's saying, I don't need to write to you about how to interpret signs and how to look at seasons because, as Jack said, it doesn't matter, right? We talked about it last week. When's the Lord coming back? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe a 1,000 years, maybe 10,000 years. We don't know. If Jesus doesn't know, we don't need to know. So Paul's saying, hey, you don't need to worry about all of that. Don't worry too much about the times and seasons. You don't need to have anything written to you that, uh, regarding that. So verse 2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And so that's the first thing we see. Christ's return is going to be unexpected for unbelievers. And so if if you aren't in Christ, if you're not living for the things of Christ, when Christ comes back, it will surprise you. That's what Paul's getting at here. But even in Jesus, uh, in his words, back in Matthew, uh, when he's being quizzed about uh, interpreting the signs and wonders, what does he say? He says, listen, you guys know how to look at the sky, interpret the weather. Here in Tucson, we have the monsoon season. And when you start to see the gray clouds building up and they just start to get really fierce looking, what's going to happen? Yeah, it's no surprise. There's no secret. Depending on the part of town you live in, because sometimes you see that and you're like, why does it always miss us? That's how it goes. Uh, But you see the clouds and it's just, it's clear. It's going to pour, right? So what Jesus is even saying, what Paul is hinting at here is, for those of us who are in Christ, don't worry about needing to interpret the signs. You already know how to read the signs. Everything that you need to be ready for the return of Christ is available to you. That's what's important. When it's going to happen doesn't matter. But as it happens, you don't need to be worried that you're going to miss it as long as you do these things. That's what he's saying. Those who are in the house who aren't prepared for a thief, uh, these are folks who have peace and safety in their mind. They think, hey, I'm good. And they're going to be surprised by Christ's coming. Because this reference that is is to Christ coming itself, um, what he's saying is that the ungodly will be surprised by the final judgment as it comes upon them. And immediately he shifts his picture, not just a thief in the night, he then talks about a pregnant woman. Another person who thinks that she has peace and safety, uh, but once uh, a certain point of the pregnancy happens, 
they know that at any moment, husband and wife, that the child could come and they have to be ready, right? So uh, my, my cousin, Sean, his first daughter was born, I think she was born at like 26, 27 weeks, right? Like, that's a surprise. You might think you have peace and safety, and yet we know that premature births happen. And this is kind of the picture that Jesus, or sorry, that Paul is painting about Jesus' return. That there are too many people, and we have to keep this in mind, too many people, including maybe some of us in this room who profess the name of Christ, we live without a due awareness of God in the ordinary decisions of our life. And what this is saying is that we might miss it if we don't live with the awareness that we need to live with. Uh, Another important thing to note, though, is that this slogan, peace and security, uh, that was a, a common mantra in ancient Rome. There's the famous Pax Romana, right, which meant the Roman peace. And so they would push forward this slogan of peace and security so that all the countries around the Mediterranean, all the areas that they were in charge of, uh, would believe uh, that this peace would hold without any sort of problems. At the time that Paul was writing this letter, that this would have been established for at least half a century at this point in time. And so there's another kind of hidden message here that Paul is also attacking, and it's this. He's saying, don't put your hope in the government. Don't put your hope in the military. Now, elections are coming up. We've got midterms coming up. Hear me. Go vote. Because having a strong government, I think, is important. Having a good, godly government, I think, is important. I think it's good to have a strong military. But that's not what we put our hope in as Christians, is it? Our hope is only and always in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. That's where we place our hope. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, don't rely on your government to do everything for you. Don't rely on your military to do everything for you. Jesus is the only one who can do everything that you need and provide all that you need. He even says that later on in Philippians, doesn't he? My God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus our Lord. How beautiful is that? And so, uh, I know, that's not a groundbreaking point that Christ's return will be unexpected for unbelievers. There you go. Captain Obvious moment is over. So, what do we take from this for those of us who are followers of Jesus? Uh, And so, the second thing that we see, we see in verses 4 through 7, we see that we can be ready for Christ's return by being ready to live out God's will for us. Verse 4, Paul says, But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. And so Tom Wright in his commentary has this beautiful sentence to summarize this. For reasons that now become clear, Christians are daytime people, even though the rest of the world is still at night. We as Christians are daytime people, even though the rest of the world is still at night. How many of you have ever uh, had the joys of traveling internationally? What's the longest flight, uh, just kind of yell out, the longest flight you've ever had to take? Anyone over 10 hours? 14 is pretty high. 24, we're up there. 50, did you say 50? 15, I was like 5-0, that's awful. So, international flight, uh, it's, it's a blast, isn't it, to get to go out of the country and to see something different, but man, 24 hours on a plane, God bless you, sir, God bless you. Um, I, 12 was my uh, longest flight, uh, and so whenever you're uh, taking a, a trip internationally, what happens? Uh, our bodies get confused after travel, 
right? First time I was out of the country, and even still, whenever my wife and I go see her family in Ukraine, that first week, there's always some acclimatizing that has to take place. Because I'll go to sleep when it gets dark outside in Ukraine, uh, but my body still thinks it's back in Tucson. So next thing you know, it's like 2 a.m., maybe 3 a.m., and just, I'm awake. And I'm not going back to sleep. Uh, And it's terrible. It's so frustrating uh, because while it's still dark outside, my body's telling me that it's daytime and that I need to get up. Well, here in this passage, Paul is saying that here you are in the middle of the world's night, but the spirit of Jesus within you is telling you that it's daytime. You are already children of the day, children of the light. God's new world has broken in upon the sad, the sleepy, the drunken and deadly old world. That's the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the Spirit. The life of the new world breaking into the old. As Christians, we no longer belong to the old world. We belong to the new world in Christ. We are wide awake long before the sunrise has fully dawned. And so it's our responsibility then to stay awake because this is God's new reality that will shortly dawn upon this world. And so the main point of these verses here, Paul's writing uh, to the Thessalonian church and to us likewise, that we need to be alert and we need to be self-controlled. And so he explains this using the metaphors of light, of darkness, and of drunkenness. So why the metaphor of light? Well, in John 8, verse 12, maybe you've heard this before, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He calls himself the light of the world, but what does light do? Light has the ability to illuminate. And with illumination comes revelation. And so Jesus comes to bring illumination into the darkness, revealing what happens in the darkness, the things that should not be. And then Jesus comes to bring revelation to the world. Paul calls Jesus the image of the invisible God in Colossians 1. And so Jesus reveals to us the invisible things of God. And so if you want to know what God looks like, you look at the God-man himself, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. And so when Paul is calling followers of Jesus children of the light, there's actually a double meaning that's taking place here. One, he's saying that we are identified with Christ as children of the light. That's the first thing that we see there. The second meaning he's saying that we are a people who get to live with a revelation of what it is that God calls us to do in life. G.K. Beale said this in his commentary on 1 Thessalonians. He said that darkness uh, includes notions of spiritual ignorance. And so this uh, spiritual ignorance, what it does is it leads us to live with disordered desires. That we mistreat people in order to benefit ourselves. We prioritize meeting our own needs or filling the emptiness in our own souls by using others, oftentimes at the expense of the relationships that really do matter most to us. But remember, what you believe will happen tomorrow determines how you will live today. G.K. Beale says, the Thessalonians have become enlightened and are able to evaluate Paul's instructions as being true so that they are alert. To live in order to please God because they've become part of the new creation. You see, when we know what's coming next, when we know that Christ will come back and we know that we can live with an awareness that he will come back and we want to be ready for that moment, that will determine, it will affect the things we do today. So Paul's encouraging the Thessalonians to live in the light, to live in order to please God because we know that Jesus is coming soon and we want to be ready. Rather than being caught asleep, we want to be awakened, we want to be enlightened with the illuminated mind that the light of the world can give to us. And so the second metaphor Paul uses, he starts with light and darkness. 
And then he moves to this second metaphor. Like sleepy people, those who are drunk aren't alert. They're not very aware. If a thief comes into someone's house who's drunk, the thief can get away with quite a bit before the drunk person sobers up. And so Paul's saying that there's actually a way for us to be spiritually drunk. I love how uh, G.K. Beale defined that. He said to be drunk spiritually is to absorb too much of the world's way of looking at things and not enough of the way that God views reality. To be intoxicated with the world's wine is to be numbed to feeling any fear in the presence of a coming judgment. So this idea of being awake, uh, or as your translation might say, it might say being alert in uh, verse 6, it literally means to be watchful in the original text. And so we as God's people, as followers of Jesus, we must pay attention and be watchful to how we live so that we don't become morally careless and so that we aren't caught off guard when Christ returns. Both watchfulness and soberness are a contrast with the condition of drunkenness in which people are unable to exercise their faculties properly and cause harm to themselves. We're able to be watchful and self-controlled because we've already become partakers of this revelatory light in Christ and of the new creation, which then empowers us to be careful about how we live. Paying attention to such revelation is what enables us as the saints to live in a state of moral and spiritual preparedness for the return of Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. That idea that paying attention to this revelation, to the illumination of Christ, is what prepares us to be ready for Christ, to return. How often do you feel like you fail God? If you're like me, there's just so many times uh, where there's a certain way that you wish that you would live. It's that everlasting struggle that Paul describes in the book of Romans chapter 6 and 7, that uh, there's the things that we want to do that we don't do. And there's the things that we know not to do. And those are the things that we, for whatever reason, we just continually find ourselves doing that. And yet, um, what Paul's letting us know is that right now we have available to us everything that we need to live the way God wants us to live through Jesus Christ himself. And why should that matter to us? It's because we know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And we want to be ready for it. We're children of the light. We have a new identity in Christ. And it's now up to us to own that and to wear that. Tom Wright said that most people take uh, ordinary and sensible measures uh, to protect against theft. That most of us, we don't sit in our houses looking out the window with a gun, uh, just waiting for a burglar to come. To do so would paralyze our everyday lives. We can agree on that. And so Christ is going to come in a similar manner as a thief. Uh, but our reaction is not to sit around every moment of our lives with a Bible in our hands, looking out our windows and waiting for him to come at any time. Uh, the church, I want to say it was probably in the 80s, did this thing where there's a lot of people who wouldn't even go to movies because they thought, man, if Jesus comes back and I'm sitting with my family in a movie theater watching Honey, I Shrunk the Kids... Man, I'm going to miss out, right? Um, and I don't think that that's what it's saying here. I think that there's a, a reasonable way for us to be ready for Jesus' coming. And so here's uh, what Tom Wright, taking this from his commentary, said that Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 8, we won't go there for the sake of time, but in that passage he explains that the church will make itself ready for Christ's coming by wearing fine linen that's bright and clean. And so what is meant by that is that we will be clothed in our acts of righteousness. That's what that represents. 
And so what uh, N.T. Wright says is to keep our clothes on and always be ready for Christ's return means that we keep on doing those righteous things that please God. So how do we do that? How do we keep those spiritual clothes on, uh, as Tom Wright suggests? Uh, Verse 8, Paul says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. Uh, and encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And so what we see is this last point here, that godly living and assurance of our salvation through Christ is of great encouragement to true Christians. So we talk about the spiritual clothing here. Uh, Particular clothing uh, often identifies a person's profession. Think about a police officer. Police officers have a uniform that when you see them in it, you know it's a police officer. Soldiers have armor that they wear. You have doctors that wear their lab coats. You have mail carriers. They're all identified by their unique clothing. Uh, In fact, there's some people that if they were to show up for their profession wearing the clothing of another profession, it could have catastrophic results. Imagine if you were to turn on uh, the Sunday night football game tonight and you saw someone run out on field in a lab coat, not wearing shoulder pads or a helmet at all. Probably isn't going to go well for that player, right? And so what Paul's arguing here uh, in this passage is that those of us who profess Christianity, we also possess the clothing that is suitable for our profession that will prevent us from being harmed. And the language here, it, it's kind of interesting. If you notice at the beginning, he says, but since we do belong to the, to the day, having put on, so this is something that you already own. If you're in Christ, he's talking about the armor that we need to wear, the breastplate of faith and love. We need to have on the helmet that is the hope for our salvation. He's saying those things are already available to you. You already own them. You already have them. And so uh, the picture here, if one has truly identified with Christ, then one has already put on the armor. And so a soldier, once he's geared up in his armor, uh, must now be watchful in order to conduct battle to avoid harm. In the same way, the Thessalonians need to be watchful as they wear their armor of faith, love, and hope. And we too need to do that so that we can fight and protect ourselves in the midst of trials and in conflicts with the realm of darkness. Without faith, love, and hope, God's people will suffer harm by the ups and downs of life. And as children of light, you've already been clothed with the armor. And so, uh, although Christians have been clothed with the the armor of faith, hope, and love in Christ, uh, we need to grow in these virtues. This is what Paul's really saying. We need to grow in these virtues and in our identification in Christ. To sum that up, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's encouraging them to become what they already are in Christ and to grow even more in him. Simply put, that's what we need to do. We need to become what we already are in Christ and grow ever more in him. Uh, I think about uh, just my nephew Timothy. Uh, it's just He's adorable. And when he was younger, you know, uh, Timothy Thompson is his name. You know, Timothy was fully born a Thompson when he was born. And yet there's things that Timothy might do as he was young growing up where he might throw food. And my brother would have to lovingly correct him, hey, Thompsons don't throw their food at the dinner table, okay? So this is the picture that all at once, Timothy, who's fully a Thompson, is still growing up and understanding what it is to be a Thompson and to represent the family name. 
in the same way we as Christians have to make sure that we grow into who we were meant to be, who Christ has already made us to be by putting on the armor and wearing that. That should be an encouragement to you. That's what Paul's uh, kind of finishing that passage up with. He says, um, man, that, that is something that we should take uh, some solace in. Because if you're, if you're anything like me, there's just times where you feel defeated. And if I'm honest, this week was one of those weeks for me. It was brutal. Um, not to get into anything. Like, we had a great moment this week. My wife and I bought a house, which is a great thing. Yes. And we celebrate that. But within hours of that being recorded with the county, I went home to a flooded house. That was awesome. That's exactly what every new homeowner dreams of, isn't it? Walking into a flooded home. Uh, this is after the gas leaks that had to be rerouted. And there's just, there's been so many things um, that I didn't really do a good job of living this out this week. And so can you imagine how convicting it is to be preaching a sermon and to study this stuff where it's just like, man, Satan just keeps getting me in this battle this week. Where's the armor? And I, Does anybody else identify with that? That just there's times where it just it feels like the armor isn't there. And yet what we need to be encouraged by is this, that if you ever feel any tinge of faith, if there's ever a twinkling of hope, that should be an encouragement that you're still awakened to the things of God. There's two types of soldiers on the battlefield. Most of us are like, man, I just want to have peace, right? There's two types of soldiers on the battlefield. And remember, we are in a battle. There is a soldier who's at peace on the battlefield. And that's the soldier that's laying lifeless on the ground, no longer taking a breath. And yet there's a soldier who's battling, who's struggling, who's fighting against fear and doubt and reaching down to just even find a drop of courage to keep pushing forward. And yet that soldier is fully alive to the battle. That's the encouragement. That if you're still struggling through it, it means that you're alive to the things of Christ. That's why you're even aware of the battle that you're a part of. And that was something that had to uh, sink in for me this week. And I'm really grateful to Ben Stewart who uh, used that illustration, a sermon that I heard uh, probably at the beginning of the year. Something that I need to remind myself of constantly. And so be encouraged. Remember what future glory awaits you as you fight that battle. Because again, what you believe will happen tomorrow determines how you live today. And so the way to be ready for the return of Jesus is to live a life of trusting God and his promises. If we're uninformed about what God's word says and we're not living in close relationship to him, then catastrophic events uh, will harm us. And so that's what happened in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, just one chapter before this when Paul talks about those who were grieving as though they had no hope. Paul needed to reset their minds so that they knew the hope that they did have. So we have to love each other by encouraging one another in our faith, building one another up in our common hope, and we have to be rooted in God's word. True saints are able to obey God because they have renewed natures that enable them to do so. And we need to see, there's an explicit connection here that being a part of the new age as children of light, we are now able to obey the commands that God has given us. And since we belong to the day, since this light has begun to dawn upon us, we need to be self-controlled, putting on faith, putting on love, putting on hope. And the point of these two script, uh, sections in Scripture, again, it's to be self-controlled. 
And so the way we expectantly wait for Christ's return, it's not by trying to calculate the exact time of that return. It's not by carelessly being unaware of our relationship with God. It's by thinking and living like a genuine Christian, characterized by faith and hope and love. So for Paul, uh, this righteous lifestyle, it's the best way to prepare for Christ's return. And then moving on to verse 9, that that allows him to start to reflect deeper on the basis for such a lifestyle. He says in verse 9, God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation, which will be through our Lord Jesus Christ. Together, Jesus' death and resurrection are the basis of rescue and salvation for people. He died receiving God's wrath for his people, but then he conquered death through resurrection. And so faith is the means by which people are able to identify with Christ's death and resurrection and benefit from this redemptive work. And so Paul wants the church, he wants them to have this awareness of matters pertaining to Christ's return so that we can know God, that we can know his ways, what it is that he expects of us and live in such a way as to please him. We do this uh, whether it be in the midst of history or at its very end. But we need to pay attention to God's word in order to not be ignorant of him and ignorant of his ways in the way that the world is ignorant. And so uh, to keep clothed, we have to make sure that we aren't uninformed about what God's word says. N.T. Wright, I just, gosh, I know I quoted him like five times tonight. It really was that good, I promise you. But he kind of summarizes uh, the, the close of this passage by uh, saying something along these lines. Uh, he points out that Paul begins this letter. If you go look up 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, he begins this letter by talking of faith, hope, and love. And now as, as Paul's drawing to a, a conclusion here in 1 Thessalonians, he takes us right back to the same trio. That faith and hope are the breastplate to ward off frontal attacks. The hope of salvation is the helmet protecting the head itself. But underneath it all, as always in Paul, we find God's action in Jesus, the Messiah. In verse 10, we hear again the basic Christian creed that he died for us and he rose again. That's the main defense against all that the dark world can throw at the children of the light. And so Paul's main message is this. Hold fast in faith to the gospel message. And you will find in it all the comfort and the strength that you need as you live each day. Because remember, what you believe will happen tomorrow determines how you live today. The gospel is the very message that gives us this hope for the future. Jesus has already told us how it will end. Like Jack said last week so many times, when that time comes, you want to be riding with Jesus. And so when we believe Christ is returning for his church, just as he said it would, or that he would, it affects how we live today. So put on the armor. Stay clothed in the armor. Grow in your faith, your hope, your love. Identify with Jesus and the light that he's shined into your life to bring illumination and revelation to do his will so that you can be ready to ride with Jesus. Let's pray. God, I just, I confess to you that uh, this is an area that I've struggled with this week. Just reading through these words and and looking at it, um, I don't think many of us in this room struggle with defining faith or love or hope. We know what those things are, and yet in moments where we feel that we need it most, uh, we feel that it's lacking. 
And I know the, just the revelation to me this week was when it feels that it's lacking, it's not because you've moved God, it's because uh, I have. It's because I'm focused on the wrong things. I have those disordered desires that keep me from seeing what you've already accomplished for me, what you've already done for me, who you've already set me free to be through your son, Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for us as a church is that uh, as we look into your word tonight, and as we hear what Paul had to say to the Thessalonians back then, that we would take the principles for ourselves and know how we can best apply this to our lives. It would have been easy for me, the preacher guy, to get up here and, and tell people all the things they need to do to grow in faith and hope and love, and yet the reality is, um, God, that's insufficient. I, I, I don't know every person in this room. I don't know their life well enough. I know the basics, that we all need to be in your word, that we all need to gather together with a body of fellow believers that hold us accountable and help us to grow into that direction that you want us to go in being like your son, Jesus. And yet when it comes to what we're going to do tonight as we go to sleep and what thoughts fill our minds as we wake up tomorrow, when we step back into the workplace, when we come home to our families, Jesus, would you begin to speak to all of us right now, just each person individually, where they can begin to take steps to grow in faith and in love to grow in hope, to continue to, to wear the armor and use the armor the way that it was meant to be used. So God, teach us what it is. Continue to show us what it is to be children of the light. Help us to live as those uh, who carry that light into every place they go. God, that's the reality that we, we do that, and yet for so many of us, uh, we forget or, or we let that light be extinguished by the cares of this world. And so that's my prayer tonight, God. Would that not be the case any longer? Help us to be ready for the moment, to take your light and to carry it with us wherever we go, to bring that illumination and revelation that has so deeply changed our lives and brought a transformation that only the gospel could. We want to bring that sort of light into the lives of others, not because we're better than people, not because we think that we've got it all figured out, but because we have a genuine Christ-life affection and love for people and a desire to see them know you and the joy that comes from being united with you. So would your Holy Spirit come and do a revelatory work in the way that only you can. We pray it all in your name. Amen. Alone my sorrow, dead in my sin. Lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love may wait to let mercy come in. When death was rested, my life began. Nash was redeemed, only beauty remained. My open heart is 
It's Christ's freedom that brings us the faith, hope, and love. Can grow that more and more within you, within me, within us, to put that on display to a watching world that longs for those things that we get to put on display. And so may God continue to grow that within you as a follower of Jesus. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, it all starts with him. It ends with him. And everything in the middle is with him and for him. And so I'd love to talk with you about that. Uh, if you need prayer tonight, I'll be down front. Maybe I'll ask Gabe to join me too. If you uh, want prayer tonight, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, but just a couple quick things as we head out. Just We'd love to help you connect around here. We do that in e-groups that meet during the week or some discipleship groups that are going through curriculum together. Uh, the Aspire Women's Conference info is in the app. If uh, you're a lady, you'd like to participate in that. Uh, Operation Christmas Child, we've got some of those boxes you can pack. Bring them back by November 13th. And the upcoming Roadrunners hockey game, November 11th. Please get tickets if you're going to go. Get it through the app because that will get you all in the same section and you'll have a great time hanging out. So that's one thing you do it. If you happen to be new, we'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party. Lyle's back there. Karen's back there. We'd love to say hi and give you some of the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon. Dinner tonight is at Sauce Payway, kind of off of Broadway near the Williams Center. Uh, and so if you uh, want to join us, we're heading there. If you're watching online, now you know where we're going. We'll be there in about 25 minutes. You can meet us there. Um, so. Glad uh, to have you with us tonight. Uh, Barbie, happy birthday. Happy birthday. I love you, man. So uh, grateful to have you all here. May you, and this is what Paul says in Romans, um, uh, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, he says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Friends, may those three grow within you as you go from here to be the church this week. God bless you.